Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. Today, we're going back to Jesus after looking at Jude's letter last week that gave me the feeling that Jude didn't always see people the way God sees us. We're coming back to Jesus this week to look at a little passage where Jesus talks about how to see well. It's short, it's pithy. I haven't yet found a pop song that it mimics, though, but that doesn't mean it's not out there. I'll be working on my pop song comparisons for you and bring those to you soon, maybe here on Instagram, maybe here on the podcast. Who knows? If you've got a song that stands out as a mirror of a story in Scripture that you love, let me know. I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to know that I'm not alone in having a brain that makes these sort of off-kilter connections. Thanks for listening to the show and for all you do to support and share the show. I'm really excited about what's coming down the pike at God Knows Where, and I cannot wait to share more with you as we get closer to Christmas. Keep listening for more so you don't miss out on what's next. For now, though, enjoy today's episode. IG. A reading from Matthew. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Five years ago, I was riding the tractor, I hit a bump and lost my glasses. They were my only pair, and as luck would have it, my prescription was expired, so I couldn't just go and get a new pair. I made an appointment with my eye doctor at the time. I walked back with the nurse into the exam room. She checked my eyes and said, I'll be right back. When she came back, she wasn't alone. Another nurse came with her, and that nurse checked my eyes, and they took me to another room. And a third nurse came in and ushered me to yet another room, and each room was progressively smaller and darker and further back in the office than the one before. Needless to say, I was uneasy. When the doctor finally saw me and looked at my eyes, he told me, I think you've got juxtafovial telentalasia. I want you to go see a specialist. So, another visit to another doctor in another town. In a darker and smaller room than the last one I'd left, I learned that the first optometrist was right. I had an unpronounceable eye disease, a clustering of blood vessels near my pupils that will likely lead to macular degeneration, and it turns out I'm about 20 years younger than most people who have this issue with their eyes. My specialist likes to remind me of this every time I see him, and it's not exactly a badge of honor that I like to wear. But I wear it. And I go on about my life, looking at the world with these eyes that will grow little tiny pinholes of darkness at some point down the road. Same eyes that are also filled with floaters that make me regularly think that there's a fly or a mosquito nearby. I don't have great eyes, but I do the best I can to take care of them. Plenty of light when I read, sunglasses when I go outside, and so on. And when I think about the trajectory my eyes will take me, I can only hold out hope that someday there will be a way to fix them. Every time I go back into that dark room and wait for the doctor to check my eyes out and see if things have gotten worse, I sit beside other people who have eye problems, whose eyes aren't working as well as they would like, and I'm reminded that so many of us have problems seeing clearly. Jesus didn't have access to modern medicine or or even really proper hygiene as we know it, but he did know that seeing clearly was important. He knew that if we can't see clearly, We can't see all the light there is in the world. And when we can't see all the light in the world, 
It can't illuminate our lives. It can't light us up so that we can be a light for others. He knew our eyes were our lamps, and the brighter our lamps shine, the more light others will see. And still, we can have the healthiest eyes that can take in all the light that we need. But if there are impediments blocking out that light, if there's something out there in our way, we still can't see clearly. We can be pure and holy and blameless all we want, and all it takes is one little wall out there to block our view, to keep some of the light from shining into us. If we only look in one direction or from one vantage point, there will always be light that we cannot see, light that comes from God. On the one hand, I think this little aside from Jesus that we rarely consider that's sandwiched between two stories we read all the time, one about storing treasures in heaven and another about serving two masters. On one hand, this story is about purity. It's about keeping our bodies free from distractions, not watching or reading or looking at certain material that makes us unhealthy, to not see things that we can't unsee or aren't ready to see. But I also think it means that we need to pay attention to what is in front of us, what's blocking out God's light, no matter how well our eyes are working. We all only have one vantage point from these two little holes in our heads to see the whole world. And our lives are filled with experiences and families and economies and religions and proprieties that shape the way we see and then interpret everything. And we make a lot of assumptions about what and who we see because of all these things that fill our lives. We add a lot of filters to our eyes. We add a lot of filters about who people are because of how they look or how they speak or who they love or where they live. And these filters make the world, at least I think as God intended us to see it, they make it more opaque. They make it harder to see and harder to find the light. When we look at them through these filters, we tend to say, oh, well, that's just the way that they are. We see the problem with them and not with our eyes. And the more and more of these filters we add to our eyes, the less and less of what is good and fruitful and instructive and loving and nurturing about all these people around us, the less of it shines through. We can add so many filters at times, in fact, that all we come to see is darkness everywhere we look when hiding behind them, in plain sight, is God's immeasurable light and love all around us. We block out so much of God's light with all these distinctions and distractions, and it only fills us with more darkness. We cloud our vision with so much extra, unnecessary stuff that it's hard to see God's light shine through others, to see it shine from places we've never seen or looked before, to receive all God's light from all the places it comes from. Even if we have perfectly healthy eyes, they've got to be free of all this stuff we put in the way. So how do we do that? It comes down to hygiene. Talk to any eye doctor and they'll tell you that good hygiene is required for good vision. There's two or three things we can do to make sure our eyes stay healthy. First, we've got to keep them clean. That means we have to be careful about what we've picked up along the way that can get into our eyes, either that floats into them or that comes off of our hands. Anyone will tell you to wash your hands before you touch your eyes. The dirt on your fingers can do damage. It's no different 
with the eyes of faith. We have to be mindful of what's gotten onto us in the course of our lives. The dirt, the grime, the messes and mistakes we've made, the biases we've picked up, whatever. We can't let these affect our vision. We also have to be mindful of what we've built up around our eyes. I mean, I'm not known for wearing mascara or eyeliner, but I know it's important to clean up and and wash away the masks and the makeup that we wear so that we don't allow it to seep into our eyes and do harm to them. If we aren't careful, these things we put all around our eyes can affect the way we eventually can see others. The biggest things, I think, that we build up around our vision, at least when it comes to faith, are bubbles, little worlds that shelter us from the rest of the world. They help us to see what we can see very clearly, but they don't allow us to see anything else. And they make us think that our limited view is a view of the whole world, when it's not. It's just a little slice that we've chosen to see. And when bubbles burst, we don't know what to do. We don't know what we're looking at. We don't know where to look or how to see or how to make our way forward. We've got to get rid of these bubbles when it's time even if they were helpful for a while, so our eyes will continue to work well and see all the light. And when they don't work well, we need to seek help. We need to figure out what's making them work poorly. I don't think any of us, when our vision blurs or darkens, when we look at a blurry screen or blurred words on road signs as we're driving or or whatever, I don't think any of us does this and believes that the picture or the words are actually blurry. We don't believe that what we're looking at is the problem. We know the problem is in our eyes. And we trust our doctor to help us fix our eyes. But that's not really what we do with the ways we see or don't see God's light in others or allow it to shine through us, do we? Too often we think the problem, the failure, the shortcoming is with what's out there, not what's inside us. Failure is with what we see, not with how we're seeing it. We always want others to change or to come into focus, but we are hesitant at best to do what we need to do to correct our own vision, aren't we? We have to trust, though, that correcting our vision, not others' substance, changing the way we see God's people and God's world all around us, that that correcting that is our responsibility. And to do that, we have to trust that God's light is shining everywhere. We have to ask for help from people who've seen God's light shine in places we've been unable to see. Maybe that means we need to pick up books by authors we wouldn't normally read or enter into conversations with people who've heard God's voice in different ways from us. We need to see light, God's light, from a different perspective in order to see it all. In order to see the world in healthy ways. In reading for a series I did years ago on Sabbath, I picked up a book by an author whose brand of Christianity makes me itch. But I gave it a chance. I'd heard good things about this book and the way people that I knew who had read it thought about it, and so I gave it a chance. In reading it changed the way, the entire way, that I looked at rest and church and the rat race that we all run. For the better. I wouldn't have seen those things or seen things from that perspective had I just ignored that book because of what I thought. We have to know that it's okay, sometimes necessary, to ask for help, for help to see more clearly. But when we ask for help, we've got to use the help we get. 
Glasses in the case or smashed under a tractor tire are no good to anyone. Books and conversations are great until we ignore what we've learned from them. I had a friend who did all the work to get contact lenses one time, to improve his vision so that he could see safely to drive and to do the work that he had to do and just to get around. He did what he had to do to be able to see better, but he also wanted to save money. And so he chose to do that by only wearing one contact lens at a time. And he saved money. He saved a lot of money on contact lenses, but he only saw the world half as good as it really is. We can't afford to do that. Jesus tells us our eyes are our lamps. They are the way that we see everything. But lamps are just something to dust until we use them and take care of them and use them for what they were meant to be. Same is true for us. We aren't what we are meant to be without God's light pumping through us. If there's light from others that we cannot see and take in, then we cannot fully be filled with Christ's light. We see everything with our eyes. But our eyes can't see what God sees the way God sees it if we don't pay attention to our eyes and what's getting in their way. We've got to take care of our eyes. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It will mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.